Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word this morning. It is just full of wisdom, and it provides for us knowledge on how to live this life. We would pray, Lord, that you would not only fill us with the wisdom, but help us to retain the knowledge that it would not quickly slip away from us. So many things are forgotten so easily, but I pray this word today would remain. It would take root, and it would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and verse 21. I covered last time we were here this idea of murder and anger, and also I didn't quite get to the reconciliation, and we're going to do that today. But to give it some context here, we're going to begin in verse 21, and it reads, You have heard that it was said, To the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And I gave you several different synonyms for this idea of raka. And one of them I said was uh, off of the Warner Brothers uh, Yosemite Sam cartoons. Remember Idiot Galoot? Uh, if you call somebody an idiot or a fool or any of those adjectives that would describe somebody in, in less of a light than they are created in the image of God, of, that those things are supposed to be prohibited from us engaging in, saying those words. And then he goes on to say, therefore, and this is why the therefore is there. If you have this anger issue with somebody, you're supposed to resolve it. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This is the only place where this Greek word reconcile is used. And it means to stop from being angry or discontented, to placate, to pacify, to appease, to mollify, to assuage, to soothe, to humor, to win over, to make peace with. And it says, if you know someone has something against you, and you're fine, you're good, Everything's a-okay with me, but you know that somebody has something against you. God is saying here, don't even come to church. Don't offer up some worship and praise. Don't be doing your Bible study. Go to them first. He puts relationship over everything else, even the worship of him. You cannot worship in spirit and truth if you know that somebody has something against you. It also can mean secondarily to gain esteem or goodwill. So if you know somebody is angry at you, you want to be able to go to them and say, you know, I'm so sorry for what is going on. I I think we need to correct something that has taken place. And I just want to talk to you about it. And, you know, hopefully we can leave this conversation and it'll be a little better than when it started. Now, does it ever sound like that when you begin it? 
Absolutely not. Usually somebody, they have their feathers all ruffled and they're just upset and they're kind of angry and they know that they're going to be meeting with you or you're going to be meeting with them because they have requested it of you and you get all nervous and you'd like to say, can we sit down and talk about this? I'd just like to iron this thing out. There's usually tension involved in something like this. So remember, this isn't the context of verse 22. It is assumed that your brother is angry at you. Now, to summarize the problem, you are good, your brother is angry with you, or your sister is angry angry with you, you know it, and you are quite possibly the direct cause of this anger, and it is directed at you. It can be the result of a third party, something like gossip or innuendo or a misunderstanding that somebody else communicated with an individual with, but you know that they're upset. And so before we go to worship, we are to go and remedy the situation. Now, how are we to do this? How are we to remedy the problem? Now, just in everyday life, if you know that, for instance, I'm a contractor, if somebody is offended by something that I have done, usually what they require, and this, it's never happened to me, but I know that it's out there. If somebody does something wrong, and I heard one homeowner say this with another contractor that was there, he said, I want some liquidated damages. And what he meant was, I want to keep from having to pay you the full amount. I want some money back in my pocket to be retained there because you didn't do me right. And so sometimes when you meet with somebody, even in the church, even outside the church, if you've made a mistake, if you've caused somebody some injury, you slip them some money and you say, hey, you know, sorry, man, didn't mean to do that. I was parked out front here, and the guy across the street, he kind of nicked my truck, and he goes, hey, whatever I got to do, you know, just let me know. And he knew that he had done me wrong. I didn't have to come out and say, who did that? Who bumped my car and caused that little red mark on there? And none of that had to happen. The guy was already willing to make amends for what he had done that was wrong or damaging to me. And so that may be one way to clear up a misunderstanding or some type of problem or sin. You compensate them. Secondly, you may be clearing up something that has been miscommunicated and all they need is an explanation. If you sit down and say, well, this is really what took place. I don't know what you heard or maybe I communicated it wrongly or somebody else did, but I'm just going to clear this thing up. This was the intent. This is what I meant to say if I didn't say it. And hopefully it'll all be smoothed out. And most of the time the person will say, Oh, I didn't realize that that is what has happened. Well, I'm sorry for getting so upset over this whole thing. Or it could turn out where you explain what's going on and the person gets even angrier and says, Well, what did you do that for? Well, that was dumb. That was stupid. Why did you act stupidly? And and so then you iron it out, and the person has the chance to say, you know, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? You know, I just want to clear the air between us. It may be also that you have sinned against this individual and need to seek or receive forgiveness from them. Now, this usually is not done. For a variety of reasons, we choose not to get involved in this. We just say, that's it. I'm done with you. You're out of here. I'm deleting you from Facebook. By the way, that's one indication that something is not right. When you get deleted from Facebook 
And then if there's error or sin on top of that, they've talked to people, all of a sudden all these other people, associated friends between the two of you, they start dropping you like flies and you go, what, what did I do? Well, what do you think happened? There's probably gossip going on somewhere, which is completely wrong, shouldn't be doing that as well. And so if we know something, someone has something against us and we're to be the ones to seek to rectify the situation, that is what is called for in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. We will call that person the offender. Even though they may not have intentionally done it, they just know somebody has something against it. I have offended somebody, so I need to go to them. In Matthew chapter 18, there is an individual who would be called the offendee. Now, I'd like you to turn over there in Matthew chapter 18. And there's a responsibility for both of these individuals. There's the one who brings the offense or the offender. And there's a responsibility for the one who is offended, the one who has been sinned against. And this is what it is. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault with several other people. I'm stopping there because I have known, I've never known this to be the case. Just between the two of you. If there's an issue that comes up, it is just you and that person. Someone might say, well, you know, I need to get some counsel before I do this. I would say go talk to them first. Don't turn to somebody and say, you know, I got a problem. I got to tell you about this problem. And if you have to do that, if you end up doing that, please don't mention any names. And don't go to somebody who might figure out who it is. You want to go to the individual because what you'll do is you will taint them in the eyes of the person you're talking to. We love ourselves. Did you know that? The Bible says there has not yet been an individual alive who doesn't love himself. And so we love ourselves, we feed ourselves, we take care of ourselves, we bathe hopefully at least once a week, whether we need to or not, we brush our teeth. All of these things, we take care of ourselves. But we like to make ourselves look better than we actually are. Now, if in our household, we've been watching these videos, family videos of when our girls were small. And sometimes you, I'm, I'm watching those things and I'm thinking, am I really like that? Is, is that me? And I, I, I want to say, well, well maybe, I'm, maybe I am like that, or maybe I need to be a little bit better than what's there. And so I always want to think of myself a little bit better than actually that I am. And we all do that. And when we explain something to somebody, if we have committed an error, we want to gloss it over a little bit and say, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. And that's your view where the other person could be in tears and distraught and just can't get over what has taken place. But you're walking around talking to somebody else say, I'm good, but you know, I made a little mistake, but it's not that bad. And I hope they're going to be okay, but I need to get some counsel before I talk to them. Don't do that. Go directly to the person. If the person is reasonable, if they're not a psychopath, if they're not a sociopath, you're going to be able to go to them and say, you know, we got an issue here. Just between me and you, can we talk this out? Now, you should probably underline that, highlight it, star, put arrows going to it, little flashing lights, just between 
the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, not just your brother or your sister. You have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If this sin or offense is great, God wants it resolved. Sometimes the issues we have are just petty. They're just very petty. But they can be very serious, and he wants to establish what is going on. So the person who has been sinned against, just like the person who did the sinning, has the responsibility of going to the other one. They both have the responsibility. You don't get out of it because, well, he sinned against me. I don't need to go to him. I don't have to say anything to him. He's the one that offended me. It's his job to come to me and make amends. No, that's Matthew 5. But Matthew 18 says, no, if you've been sinned against and you just can't let it go, you need to take this course of action. If he refuses to listen to them, being the two or three in the church, tell it to the whole church. If he refuses to listen to even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now, there's several things I could just unpack from this, kind of like the snake in a can that just comes out. There's so many things on the inside here. But it's mainly focusing on the fact of dealing with this relationship issue. If you have been sinned against, you need to correct it. You need to go to the individual. You need to talk to them. If they will not listen, then you need to go to the whole church and tell the whole church. When was the last time you heard somebody stand up in a church and say, this person has sinned against that person and they are not reconciled and it has been established by the elders in the church that this person is at fault and they will not repent. When was the last time you heard that? I've heard it once and I did it. And it was 20 years ago. It was a man who left his wife for another woman and was sleeping with her, and he said, God will forgive me, and he was active in the church. And the church leadership, we said, you know, we got to deal with this. This is something we have to deal with, a very unrepentant man. And so he ended up staying with her, leaving his wife, divorcing his wife. His son was going to the church. His son was devastated, just couldn't handle it. And so there, there are some times where you go to the individual, and you say, you know, is this true? Has this been established that this has taken place? And regrettably we have to move forward on that and that's called church discipline secondly this idea verse 20 says where two or three come together in my name there i am with them do you know how many people and pastors say that's concerning prayer it is not concerning prayer it's concerning an adjudication process a judicial process where somebody in the church two or three individuals and it must not be one individual where you get together and you say we're making this and we're establishing this truth. This person is not allowed back in the church because of what they have done and they are unrepentant. We agree about this on earth and God says, I agree with it as well. Whatever you have established there in the church, 
He is in the midst of that agreement. That's a very powerful statement that comes from Scripture, and it's a very terrible one when that kind of decision has to be made. So what about this? What about being willing to correct the offense? As I stated previously, most of us are not willing. We're not willing to go to an individual that has been sinned against that we may have offended, and if we have been offended, we choose rather to take the easy route, at least seemingly easier, and not having any communication, like I said, Instagram, Facebook, all communication, no number, blocking you, you know, all of those things take place. It used to be when you had the rotary phone on the wall. Remember that? It had the crank on it? <laughs> if somebody called you, you didn't have caller ID. You picked it up, and it might be that person saying, I think we need to get together and talk. And what are you going to do? Hang up? I'm sure that happened several times where people just hung up. I'm not talking to that person. Or the person would try to communicate in some way and they would reject that through letter. But with that, it is never to be done over the phone. It is never to be done by text. It is never to be done by instant messenger. It is never to be done electronically in any way or by letter you are to meet face to face if you do not meet face to face you are acting improperly god wants the face to face meeting in both instances it says go to them that means you have to get in the car you have to drive somewhere and you have to meet the individual now a lot of times they're going to say no, or if you make the request to meet or that a meeting take place, they're going to say no. And people can say no for a variety of reasons. And by the way, I, I just want to let you know, this particular issue is not new for me or for this church. It was 25 years ago that I ran across this the first time trying to figure out, well, so what are we supposed to do with this? I even went to Pastor Chuck Smith, and I asked him about it, and he gave his insight, which I'll get to later. But he laid it out, how we're supposed to handle this as far as practically speaking about in these terms is concerned. So if there is a known offense between the parties, both are responsible for making contact with one another, neither is off the hook, and God wants the relationship to be restored or to be reconciled. If there is a refusal on the part of one or both parties to meet and clear things up, then the error or sin would be committed in the eyes of God. That's how important reconciliation is concerned. Now, I'd like you to turn over to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. We're going to read a little bit here about what the Lord has to say about forgiveness and this idea of putting the Lord's words into practice it says in verse 46 of chapter 6 why do you call me Lord Lord and not do what I say I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. So he's setting the stage for this is the commandment of God, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18. I want you to put these into practice. The man who puts it in, into the practice is like this. He is a man, verse 48, 
or he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck. That house could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. In other words, if we don't follow the Lord's word as believers, as disciples, we can run into a destructive event of some kind. Destructive personally, psychologically, emotionally, uh, maybe even physically on the outside. But there are problems in not following God's word. First John 5, 2 says, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. So God has delivered this command to us to reconcile. So going on with this, remember, I'd like you to remember this. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is a, or forgiveness, is a means to an end. Forgiveness is not the end. Forgiveness is the vehicle you get in to arrive at a destination. Same thing with reconciliation. I just want to sidestep for a minute too. When I was doing research again on this, I, I decided to go to the all-infamous YouTube, and I started listening to messages on reconciliation and forgiveness. And people started saying, they are not the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. They are completely different. You might forgive somebody, but you won't be reconciled with them necessarily because there may be some issues which are there. And I just want to tell you, biblically, that's not true. Another thing that I heard was, God forgave everyone all of their sins that they have ever committed, both saved and unsaved, when he went to the cross. We just haven't been reconciled. All of us haven't been reconciled with God. I have a problem with that. What do you do with the unforgivable sin? Oh, well, that one can't be forgiven. Well, are there others that can't be forgiven? Well, if you lead, read the look, book of First John, uh, yeah, there are sins that lead unto death. And I'm not saying that you should pray about that. And so there are sins that will not be forgiven, namely sins that aren't repented of, right? That's, that's the ones that God will not forgive. Uh, we don't get into heaven without that forgiveness. So the, the forgiveness and the reconciliation, the reconciliation is where the two parties come together and they're able to communicate on a civil basis. The forgiveness is the actual act, the getting together and deciding that I'm going to wipe the slate clean. You, maybe you remember we had this thing when we were in elementary school, many of us. It was called a chalkboard. Or maybe it was called a blackboard. If you go back a little farther, it was just slate. It wasn't the green painted chalkboard that's up there and you took chalk and sometimes you had colored chalk and you you'd write things on there and it was so fun to grab that chalk and all the dust would fall down and somebody in the school was usually in the classroom was usually responsible for cleaning off the entire chalkboard at the end of the school day and you took this chamois like thing and you cleaned it all off and you couldn't see anything that was left on there whatsoever that's the idea of forgiveness you take the slate you take the chamois and you wipe the chalk off the offense is gone and no longer 
to be recognized, no longer to be a hindrance to a relationship. A reconciliation is we've done the wiping. Now we have a clean slate and we can carry on the reconciliation. And some people say, well, you can do one without the other. Well, that's not the goal of forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is restoration of relationship. I'm going to say that one more time. The goal of forgiveness is the restoration of relationship. The goal of forgiveness is not obtaining personal comfort. If there's an individual that has sinned against one, there's a lot of discomfort in reconciling that. A lot. Some people may say, well, yeah, I'm just not going to go in for a beat down like that. Or, you know, I'm not going to get a tongue lashing. I, I'm just not going to go through that. I can't handle that. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we are to deal each, with each other in such a way. Like, for instance, you haven't heard this verse in a long time, but I know you know it because I've said it a million times. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's Ephesians 4.29. And whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is pure. And it goes on to say, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That is also in Scripture, Ephesians 4.8. And so we're to hold to those things when we meet together to reconcile. So reconciliation, the goal of reconciliation and forgiveness is the restoration of relationship. It is not seeking after personal comfort if you do it right the personal comfort comes as a result of seeking the restoration the reconciliation and the forgiveness now god followed this in his own uh, this command in this matter when we sinned against him he became a human and he met with us we sinned against him he comes to us right that's exactly what the word says to do he asked us to reconcile with him. He says, I want relationship with you. Will you please come to me and ask for forgiveness? He did it by dying on the cross. He did it by his teaching. And we are to respond and receive the forgiveness. It comes with a measure of mercy that he gives to us. And we have to have acknowledgement that we have sinned against him. Those things are critical. And regrettably, as I've said before, most will not seek to reconcile with God. Most of the world thinks that, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. You ever see that bumper sticker? I'm okay, you're okay. No, we're not okay. Matter of fact, most will end up going to destruction. Most people don't go to heaven. The only people that go to heaven is declared by Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Most people will not do that. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The road to heaven, the line is single file. The road to destruction, have you seen some of the freeways in China? 
one side has like 50 lanes. I'm not exaggerating. And their traffic jams can take days to get out of these traffic jams. And they can go on for hundreds of miles. That is the road that leads to destruction. But walking into heaven is one person at a time. And our sins are are what have separated us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so if we don't deal with our sin, God is not going to forgive us. He's not going to accept us into heaven. We are actually hostile towards God. We want to do our own thing. God created us. God wants us to follow his will because it's good for us. But Romans 8, 7 says the sinful mind or the fleshly nature is hostile to God. Before we come to God, we are actually working against him. God said, if you're not for me, you're against me. So unless you're actively pursuing a relationship with God, by the way, is it cold in here or is it me? No agreement. I can see we're making headway here. So whatever the case might be. But this idea that we are hostile to God and we think, no, I'm a good person. I love God. But if you're not pursuing him, he says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And so you actually have to be working for it. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the gym and yeah, Eat the donuts while you're sitting on the machine. You're working against what you actually should be doing, you know? And it it just is not productive. It doesn't get us where we need to be. And we will not seek, most of us, restoration with God. Well, the same thing applies to us in our relationships. We do not seek to go through the trouble, the turmoil of being restored. Jesus went through tremendous turmoil, even to the point of death, to get us to reconcile to him. None of us want to go to the point of death to reconcile. We don't even want to necessarily go to the point of discomfort. We don't like the discomfort. Now, reasons we don't seek restoration with God and with each other, number one, is pride. (laughs) I'm not doing that. No way. Burn me once, shame on me. Burn me twice. No, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. I'm not getting involved in that. Another can be a hard heart. They have hurt me so much, I am never talking to them. I have nothing to do with them whatsoever. Third reason, it's just going to be too painful. I don't want to dredge up all that stuff and talk about that. I'm just letting it go. We think we are fine. We think we are good. We think we are right. There is nothing wrong. That's another reason we don't reconcile. I'm good, man. Everything is just hokey-dokey over here. I'm just really good. And ultimately, it's just too difficult. We don't want to follow through with it. So according to the Bible, what does reconciliation and forgiveness look like? Not according to the world. The world has its own view of what forgiveness and reconciliation is. Like, for instance, when I just told you I was listening to all these YouTube videos, I, I mean, they just got it wrong, left, and right. They, this one conversation that I listened to, they talked for about 45 minutes. They used one scripture, and it had nothing to do with reconciliation and forgiveness except having a broken and contrite heart. That's all they said. The rest of it, was just made up and i was i was waiting to hear some good scripture about reconciliation and forgiveness and they gave none and it was over and over and over and i kept on looking for somebody just give me bible what does the bible have to say about this 
Well, before I go too far into this, um, there we are. I want to talk about the world's views of forgiveness. Now, there's this doctor, a psychiatrist at UCLA named, named Dr. Stephen Marmer, and he gives a description of forgiveness. Now, the first one is kind of like biblical forgiveness. It's called exoneration. Now, exoneration is where you have an offense take place, and the offense is so severe it caused somebody to be really upset. And they just go, you know, this is terrible. I need to talk to this person. This is just tearing me up on the inside. We need to sit down. We need to kind of hash this out. And we just need to take care of it. And the two get together. And they work through the issue. And one person says, will you forgive me? And the other person says, you know, I think I'm probably partly to blame in this. I've never seen a situation where there has been offense or a sin against somebody else where both people are not players. Remember, it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to get into the argument. It takes two. And usually, you're saying things that you ought not to say. You're thinking things you ought not to think. You're doing things you ought not to do. I am as guilty as anybody else out there. To give you an example, if somebody messes with you guys, I get a little angry. Now, sometimes I get a lot angry. I will tell you that. If somebody comes in and messes with one of God's sheep or with my family, I get a little uptight. Not to fisticuffs. More wrestling. I liked it. But this idea that you just kind of go, that's what I do. I, I want to go. And I usually become guilty in the middle of that because I'm so against injustice. God puts that in all of us. Well, how dare he do you know that type of thing and we want justice i want to stand up for justice really do you want justice do you want justice for you too you know so that's where the mercy comes in but this idea of exoneration is where the two parties get together and say i am so sorry I mean, no i'm sorry we just oh, i wish we could just overcome this we can and everything works out fine and you never remember the offense after that this is called exoneration This is what the Bible talks about, how the restoration of relationship is paramount. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. So we do that, right? The next one is called forbearance. What is forbearance? Another name for it is tolerance, that you tolerate the person. In other words, they have so harmed you that they're at an arm's distance. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love you, brother. I'd die for you, but I don't like you very much. You just stay in your corner over there. We're not going to have fellowship. We're not going to be talking too much. We're not going to have a lot of communication between us, and I'm still going to delete you off my phone. Maybe I'll we'll keep a friend on Facebook just to have some judgment against you every once in a while if I want to. And, and, and so this idea that you, you go through the motions and you say, Will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, thanks. Bye. And you're done with it, and you keep the person at arm's length, and you always have in the back of your mind, I really have to be on my guard with this person because I'm always walking on eggshells, and it's always a difficult situation with them. I don't know if I'm going to say something that offends, and I try to be upbeat all the time, but in the back of your mind, you're just going, this isn't working. 
you know, I've done what I can. It's really not reconciled. There was no sincerity involved there. And so I'm going to operate in the realm of forbearance. I'm just going to tolerate them. Maybe somebody on this side of the church has something against somebody on this side of the church, and that's why they sit on this side of the church, because they don't want to sit next to the person on this side of the church. And when it comes to crossing the aisle and saying hello, well, I will avoid that person, and I'll go to the back of this side of the church, because they're usually sitting in the front, or vice versa, or in the middle, and they just don't want to communicate anymore. They're just saying, I'm avoiding you altogether. That is not biblical forgiveness. That's tolerance. That's forbearance. Then the third one that this doctor talked about, is release. And you say, release? What's release? Remember, this is the world's view of forgiveness. The world says, just forgive them. Just, you know, just let it go. You know, do this for yourself. Now, don't all three of those sound biblical? It's in the book of First Speculations. And that is not biblical. And so let me review for you guys this one more. The three types of forgiveness, exoneration, forbearance, and release. These are not my words. These are the words of Dr. Stephen Marmer, UCLA psychiatrist. And so you have this idea of genuine accepting the fault for the accident or the offense that has been committed. When someone admits their fault or sin, they take full responsibility. No excuses are given. By the way, the excuse one applies to the forbearance. If a person comes to you, remember, they have to come to you. If they haven't come to you or you haven't gone to them, the error still stands. You cannot write or text and say, you know, I'm sorry, I did this, but. You ever get one of those? But you made me. You made me do this. And if you hadn't have been just getting my goat, I never would have offended you. And that, Wipe out the forgiveness. It hasn't happened. We have to be able to go to the person and say, I have sinned against you. I have, I have completely been in error on this. And you want to leave it at that. You don't want to go to the person and say, and do you have anything to say? Like, you did wrong too? No, I'm good. Uh, thanks for apologizing. I appreciate it. And then the person walks away fuming. And they're well, you were just as much to blame. No, you can't do that. Well, it's, just it's just that they, no just swallowed the pride but we don't like to do that that pride just rises to the top i don't want to be considered wrong i don't want to have to be the one to just accept the responsibility for this why not take the responsibility even if you've done what is right and people still persecute you for it isn't it not better to bear up underneath that first peter talks about that so you just go to them. And by the way, you don't want to walk away in your mind saying, yeah, I took one for the body. <laughs> Even though they're completely to blame, I know that I'm righteous before God. That, that's just the pride bubbling to the surface, but you don't recognize it as that. And so this idea of forbearance, 
It's a partial apology. It mingles with their apology with blame. It's inauthentic. The offended individual does not feel as if the situation has been resolved. They must make an attempt to avoid having ill feelings, contempt, the desires of holding on to a grudge or want or they want to in some way pay back and they think about it. Now, I've been in this situation with a, a business relationship. I carried it for at least three years. Every time I was out there doing my work, I'd wreck a snack, a wreck a wreck. You know, I was, I was just fuming over this. I couldn't let it go. I, I just couldn't get rid of it. And I'm, I'm calling out to God, God, I cannot get rid of this. How come I can't get rid of this? And it was just darkening my heart and that root, that root of bitterness was at least 24 inches wide and going down into the dirt, maybe three or four feet. And I'd pull off the top of like a carrot and it would still be there, this root of bitterness. How did I get rid of it? I saw the guy at a Fuddruckers. He goes, Bill, you, you know, and I, I'm going to cut that carrot up and I'm putting it on my burger and having a regret sandwich and, you know, a bitterness with a little on the side. And we ended up talking. And after that conversation, it was gone. And I, I have hardly given it a thought afterwards, but it took me over three years to get over that. At one point in, in this relationship, you know, I have often talked to Patty about it, and she'd turn to me and she'd go, you're bitter. i go, no, I'm not. You know, and, and, and I'd want to justify myself, and, you know, I, I couldn't. But it wasn't until I saw him and I talked to him, and he kind of wanted to make amends, you know, and, and he didn't make a lot of excuses, and he goes, come by the office. I said, <laughs> No way am I coming by. You know, I just was going to use wisdom at that point. But, you know, it just left. It just went away. And I'm sure God put me through that just for your sake so I could tell you about it. So this partial apology thing, it doesn't work. If there's always this holding back and there's no longer this openness in this relationship, you're not willing to talk to each other, it hasn't happened. Forgiveness has not been installed. And the release... This is where it's irreconcilable. Now, this happens oftentimes in the case of abuse. It could be physical, it could be mental, psychological, where the abuse takes place, and then the person goes on and they die. And you can never meet with them again. And so the psychologist and the psychiatrist will say, just forgive them. This is not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible do you see an unconditional forgiveness extended. Now, some people will say, well, the thief on the cross. I'm going to get to that one. But it's this idea that Christ doesn't even forgive us without condition. We have to repent. If we don't repent, he doesn't forgive us. We have to repent. And forgiveness will never be ours if that repentance isn't involved in there somewhere. Now, going on with this, biblical forgiveness. Actually, I want to go back to uh, reconciliation. What does biblical reconciliation look like? I'm going to give you three things. 
The word that is used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, it's to affect a change of mind in another person. And what I mean by that, I need to qualify that, is to convince them that your intentions are pure and that you have a genuine desire to work things out. We need to convince the person that we have offended that that is the case. We need to try to affect a change of mind in the individual. We need to kind of douse the resentment, the anger, the desire to get back by sincerely going to them and either asking for forgiveness or bringing clarity to what's going on. That's what reconciliation looks like. That's number one, to affect a change of mind and the other person. But don't forget the explanation with that. Secondly, it's to come to an agreement that you agree this was bad. And maybe it was a genuine offense. Maybe somebody just came in and sinned against somebody else. Maybe they were unaware. Maybe they were aware. But they have said, you know what? I'm taking responsibility for this. We're going to be in agreement that I'm to blame for this or vice versa, the other person is to blame. And we're going to come to an agreement that we're going to have this relationship. Because remember, that is the goal of forgiveness, is the restoration of relationship. It is not the seeking after personal comfort. And thirdly, well, one scripture with that, to come to an agreement. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. It says, I plead with Yodia... And I plead with Sinechi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These two women had some kind of disagreement, and they're in the church. They, sought, or they sat on opposite sides of the church when the service was in, and they probably looked at each other with a scowl, and they could not come to an agreement. And this loyal yoke fellow was encouraged to get these women to agree, to come to an agreement between them. And so this reconciliation, the third thing, is fellowship and like-mindedness. Philippians chapter 2 Paul is writing to the Philippian church. And he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And he says, he goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. So for the sake of others, you're going to engage in fellowship. For the sake of the person that's been offended, you're going to engage in fellowship. And sometimes we don't like that. We're going to live forever in heaven. And in heaven, we're going to have new bodies, and we're going to have new attitudes, and we're going to be very easy. It's going to be for us to say, I'm so sorry for being human and fallen on earth. And the other person's going to say, me too. And it's just going to be wonderful. It's going to be bliss and everybody's going to be happy and all the tears are going to be wiped away. And it's going to be wonderful. Here, it's another story. It's difficult to get through these things. So the fellowship and like-mindedness, yeah, the disagreement plays into that. But the genuine fellowship needs to take place where you're not adverse to being in the other person's company. 
and having a conversation where you haven't said, not only am I deleting you from Facebook and Instagram and texting and all of those other things, but I'm not going. If I see you in a store and you're down that aisle, I'm taking the next aisle or I'm getting out of the store. I want to encourage you next time if you see somebody that you know that there has been an offense and you see them down an aisle, approach them. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? They're walking down and they, you see them, but maybe they don't see you. Just walk right up to them and say, hi, so-and-so. Fill in the blank. Hey, can we talk? What do you want to talk about? You know, it may be an offense, may not, or what? Nothing happened. I'm good. What's wrong with you? Well, there was this thing between us. Talk to them. But don't do this. Don't take your cart, go down the aisle, whether Home Depot or Albertsons, and just say, they're here. And you gotta exit. You gotta get out of the store. You just, you gotta avoid them at all costs. So God says, don't do that. We wanna make sure that we have this change of mind that we try to affect in the other person to come to an agreement and to have this fellowship. So what does biblical forgiveness look like? Now I'm quickly running out of time here. I've told you what some Christian counselors have said. About forgiveness is always necessary, but reconciliation may not. I'm going to say it a third time. What is the goal of forgiveness? The restoration of relationship. That's why Jesus came here, is he wanted a relationship with us that he had with Adam and Eve before the fall. So the psychologists generally define forgiveness, and this is their definition, as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you. Regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness, forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. There's just enough truth mixed with error in there that is not biblical forgiveness. And we don't want to go the way of the world and what the world says is forgiveness. To just make it clear, it's open relationship with the person that there has been an offense with. Now, before I go on uh, too much farther, is this always going to be possible? No, it is not always going to be possible. And for the reasons I've already given you, the person just won't. They don't want to. They don't want to be reconciled. And there are some problems about that or with that. Forgiveness is unattainable. For those who do not forgive. Mark chapter 11 verse 25. It says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So if the person will not forgive, if they will not meet, if they will not communicate, there is no forgiveness. And God warns us, if you don't forgive, he won't forgive us. And you might say, you mean you can lose your salvation? No, I think that maybe you never had it if you don't want to reconcile in such a way. Also, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, the Father will not forgive your sins. Now, how does the Father forgive us our sins? We have to repent. We have to go to him. Remember, we could not go to the father, so the father sent his son, made him like one of us, so he could go for us 
to the Father. It's this, you have to go. We had to go. None of us were worthy. Jesus came here as God. He was worthy, so he went for us. He went in our place. You see how this pattern is repeating over and over? Is there ever a time that God forgives without repentance? You know, that's a good one. And I'm going to get to that one in just a minute. But forgiveness is conditional. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. What is the predicate to forgiveness? Repentance. And this is talking about relationship-wise, horizontally. This is not talking about the relationship vertically with God. If he sins against you seven times a day and seven times a day comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Again, he repeats it. The predicate to forgiving is repentance where the person says, will you forgive me? Going on, 1 John 1, 9. This is our relationship vertically. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. Let's give it the opposite. If we don't confess our sins, what happens? He's not going to be so faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It helps to put it in the opposite context. We have to repent in order to have salvation. There's no way we can have salvation without repentance. To have that salvation means we have restoration of relationship. In Matthew chapter 18, now I've read this to you already. It talks about going to the individual and and making sure that we are reconciled. But in verse 21, this is where Peter came to Jesus of chapter 18 and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owned owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, 10,000 talents for us in our reckoning, that would be equivalent to $1.25 million in today's dollars. So if you owed your boss $1.25 million on the salary you make today, how long would it take you to pay it back? It ain't happening. You're not paying him back. So let's go on. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. It's just, you know, It's pocket change is what he owed him. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw that he and what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours. Do you know why? Because you begged me. He made the request. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how the Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So there's this request that the master, whom he could not pay back, he said, please forgive me of this debt. I beg you to do so. And because the request was made, the forgiveness was granted. It would not have been granted on two conditions. One, if he did not ask. And secondly, if he did not forgive others. And God uses hyperbole here. The $1.25 million could never be repaid, but the amount, the few denarii that the guy owed, that could be repaid. And so he's using like a mountain to a molehill. He's using this example like the debt is just so huge and you've been forgiven so much and yet you would not forgive your brother over here when you should have for such a tiny amount that's a small offense. And our offenses, they're small. On the grand scheme of things, they, they bear no weight. They bear no structure as far as the scheme of things are concerned. I'm going to pick this up next week and I'm going to add more to it and I'm going to talk about So what do you do if you run across somebody who is in this situation? Not you, but somebody else. You know that they have been sinned against or they sinned against somebody. What do you do in that case? God will provide the wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would fill our hearts full of this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation, that we would go away with a biblical understanding, that we would not buy into the ways of the world and what the world has to say. You are interested in, in relationship. You sent your son Jesus that we might have it restored. So we understand how big it is. But help us, Lord, to apprehend it, not just understand it. And with your help, we will do this. In Jesus' name.